Shall we just pray uh, as we stand? Uh, Lord God, we do thank you uh, very much for your word. Uh, and we pray this morning that you would uh, speak to us by your spirit through it. Uh, that we might see Jesus for the king that he is and put our trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Please do sit down. We're in uh, Luke 4, 31 to 44. It's on page 1031. It'd be great if you could turn it up. Well, the sun's shining this morning and we could almost be transported back to that great and glorious summer of the Olympic Games uh, almost a, a year ago. A great time uh, for the country, the eyes of the world uh, on Britain, great sport, excitement, positivity, unity, people talking to each other on the tube. Uh, and top of the list of the gold medal hopes uh, was heptathlete uh, Jessica Ennis, the poster girl uh, for the Games from Sheffield. And the level of expectation on her was very great, and for good reason. On paper, she had it all. She had the attributes, the physical ability, the experience, the training, the previous successes. But when crunch came to crunch, would she deliver uh, that gold medal that was hoped for and expected? Would she prove to be the winner that everyone hoped uh, that she would be? And of course we know, don't we, that late on that glorious Saturday afternoon she did deliver, uh, along with two other of our athletes. Well, as we continue our series in the Kingdom of God and find ourselves in Luke 4.31, the same question could be asked of Jesus. Will he deliver? On paper, he seems fit to be God's anointed king. John the Baptist, he's given him a great reference. God the Father has spoken from heaven Uh, declaring him uh, to be his beloved son. He's got the right family history, the right genealogy. He's resisted the extreme temptations of Satan in the wilderness. And he's made some truly astounding claims, as Alan spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Jesus entered the synagogue, didn't he, earlier in chapter 4, picked out a key prophecy from Isaiah, and audaciously said, "This, this scripture is being fulfilled now here in me. He seemed fit to be the one who would usher in the kingdom of God, fit to be the saviour for all humanity. But as his ministry begins, will he actually deliver? It hadn't started that well. When people in the Nazareth synagogue, they kicked him out, outraged at the claims that he'd made, so much so they tried to throw him off a cliff in verse 29. Is he God's anointed king? Is the kingdom of God really breaking in? Well, Luke's aim is for us to have confidence uh, in Jesus. That's what he says uh, in verse 4, chapter 1. He's written his gospel that we may know the certainty of the things that we've been taught. And the miracles we're looking at this morning leave us in no doubt about who Jesus is. And they give us a taste of what the kingdom of God uh, is like. But most of all, perhaps, Luke wants us to grow in confidence in the power and the authority of Jesus' words. God wants us to see that it is through the words of Jesus that he works in the world to extend his kingdom, to achieve uh, his purposes. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to get behind that word for ourselves, to get behind that great priority of preaching his word to the world, to play our part in the extension of the kingdom of God. 
So let's have a look at these two miracles together. I've got just two points this morning. The first is this, the authority of Jesus' words. And the second is the priority of Jesus' words. So first, the authority of Jesus' words. It's clear, isn't it, from the start that Jesus has had a much better reception in Capernaum than he had in Nazareth. No one's trying to throw him off a cliff, uh, for starters. Uh, And instead, the people see there is something transparently different about the teaching of Jesus. Verse 32, they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Jesus teaches with authority. There's something different about this guy compared with the other religious leaders of the day. And Luke then presents us with two massive clashes. Clashes between Jesus and mankind's greatest enemies. What are they? Evil and death. And Jesus confronts both and he underlines his unique authority. Evil is something we're very familiar with, isn't it? It seems to pervade being so much of our culture. A soldier is brutally murdered in the name of religion on the streets of London in broad daylight. Jimmy Savile abused children for 40 years, yet some of our most revered institutions seem to turn a blind eye. Five-year-old April Jones is abducted and murdered as she plays outside her home in Wales. In our own lives, we've probably encountered people we would describe as wicked. We look around and there is much wickedness. Why is that? Well, wickedness flows from a denial of God's good and his perfect rule. And who's behind it? It's Satan. Satan is the personal force that stands behind all evil, all rejection of God. So how does Jesus deal with with the realm of Satan? Well, have a look at verse 33. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do you see the spirit recognises immediately the absolute authority of Jesus? But that hesitation, he acknowledges Jesus has authority over all evil. It understands that Jesus has a power to destroy all evil. And it implicitly recognises that one day, yes, he will do so. And the spirit identifies Jesus as the Holy One of God, the anointed king, God's anointed king. So what does Jesus do? Get out the X-Factor-style lights, the dry ice, pump up the atmospheric music? No. There's no ceremony, is there? No TV evangelist rant? He doesn't even pray. Instead, Jesus gives a simple command of just six words, verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. It's brief and immediate. When Jesus speaks, stuff happens. And all the Spirit can do is hoist up the white flag of surrender. So complete is the power and authority of Jesus' word that the man who is oppressed, who is enslaved, who is dehumanised, he's set free immediately, unharmed, free and at peace. In the face of the majesty of Jesus, Satan is impotent. Jesus speaks and he displays a unique and immediate authority. It's plain for all to see. Look in verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? 
With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So, so much for evil. What about death and disease? Look at verse 38. It's later on the same day. Jesus goes to the house of Simon. Simon's mother-in-law is unwell. Luke's a doctor. He tells us that she's got a high fever. We need to understand that is a serious condition in first century Palestine. Fevers were often fatal. And this is a high fever. It's bad stuff. So what does Jesus do when he's asked for help? Precisely what he does with the evil spirit. Look at verse 39. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. There's no bed rest, no physio rehab plan, no phase return to work, just instant healing. Simple and immediate. And the word of Jesus brings an immediate transformation, and the woman is restored to serve others. And so you can kind of picture it, can't you, as the story spreads about what Jesus has been doing, verse 40 and 41. People flock to Jesus. You can imagine the queues down the streets, there's the houses empty, the market squares empty, the shops empty. People filled with hope, amazement, anticipation, disbelief. They're brought to Jesus, talking to each other. Have you heard what this guy's doing? We'd be doing the same, wouldn't we? The Norfolk and Norwich would be empty, David would be out of a job, our national debt would be sorted. And with a simple laying on of hands, each person brought to Jesus is healed. This is power and authority, isn't it, that can't be faked. You might be able to dupe a couple of people, but surely not a whole town. The whole of Capernaum saw all of their sick and demon-possessed healed by one man in one night. Surely, as the demons themselves know in verse 41, this is the Son of God. God's appointed king with all God's authority. You see, for Jesus, evil and sickness are imposters, trespassers in his world. He comes across evil. He comes across evil spirit and he rebukes it. He comes across sickness. He rebukes it. Evil and sickness have no place in the kingdom of God. So when confronted by both, Jesus overcomes them with a word. You know, these miracles are not just kind of random show-off displays of, of power. These are examples of Jesus' divine mission. He's doing exactly what he said he would do when he linked himself with that prophecy of Isaiah. God is on the move in his world. The kingdom of God, yes, it's breaking in. Jesus the King has come to preach good news to the poor, to set the prisoners free to bring sight to the blind, to release the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favour. And in performing these lives, Jesus is transforming lives, performing the miracles, he's transforming lives and demonstrating what kind of a king he is. A king who is divine, only God could do this. Authoritative, all that is required is a word. Loving, he sees people's distress and he brings release compassionate. He seeks people out and he personally cares for them. Jesus is a people-centered, servant king. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Can I ask you, what do you make 
uh, of Jesus? What do you make of his unique authority? You know, these miracles are a taste of the saving and transforming power of Jesus Christ. The casting out of the evil spirits is a foretaste of the ultimate victory that Jesus has on the cross over Satan's sin and death. And the transformation that Jesus brings to these lives, it's the same liberating power of transformation that has touched the life of every Christian. This is the liberating and humanising power that is at work today through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is offering rescue and forgiveness, a wonderful new life of relationship and service with him. What other king would you want to serve? There's also an encouragement, isn't there, for those of us who are Christians here this morning. So often we can be tempted to think we live in this kind of dualist uh, universe when good and evil are equal powers kind of fighting each other or somehow the evil's winning uh, and triumphing. So often human justice seems to be avoided. Christians, we feel like life's a struggle. Temptations, pressures, pain, they all crowd in. Faith comes under fire. Yet these miracles are a reminder that God is sovereign. Jesus is Lord of all, natural and supernatural. The kingdom of God has broken in. And the influence of Satan is only so far as God allows. God acts and Satan flees. There will be frustrations, won't there? We know something uh, of what it is uh, to know the blessings of the kingdom of God. We've got a taste uh, of heaven and earth. We know something of what it means to know God through Christ. Yet we still live in a fallen world and we continue to struggle against sin and opposition. We've not yet received all of the blessings of the kingdom. I guess many of us are facing difficult times. We've got illness or bereavement uh, or redundancy, difficult relationships, disappointments, and we cry out, where is God in all of this? Well, we can be assured that if we are in Christ, then nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus Christ stands with us in it all. We're citizens of heaven, but living as strangers in the world. And the day is coming uh, when evil will be exposed and punished and perfect justice will be achieved. This confrontation of evil and death is just a, a picture, a wonderful picture of what is to come. There is a not yet uh, to the kingdom of God. One day Jesus will return uh, to establish his kingdom forever. This is a snapshot in the past of of something in the future that is certain. Satan is doomed. Evil will be destroyed. Christ will return to perfect his kingdom. And on that day, all that have trusted in him will be gathered together in that perfect new creation. What is it like, that place where there is no more sickness, death, mourning, crying or pain? A place even where God himself will wipe away tears from every human eye. What an amazing place, and we will live under God's perfect rule and blessing. We need to lift our eyes, don't we, to that certain hope uh, that we have. 
So these miracles show the authority uh, of Jesus' word. I think secondly, and much more briefly, they show the priority uh, of Jesus' word, the priority of Jesus' word. I don't know whether you noticed, but the, the end of this passage seems a rather kind of odd anticlimax, don't you think? In Nazareth, the people have tried to have Jesus killed, so he comes to Capernaum and he has a great time. Many are healed, people flocking to him. Uh, Jesus has been a great success. If Max Clifford, the PR publicist, um, hadn't been arrested uh, and was advising Jesus on what to say and what he, on what he should do, what would he say? Surely this is the place to stay, isn't it? We're on to a good thing. Crowds love you, the press are on sides. You can, you can be the healing guru in the place, rich, adored, the one everyone uh, wants to know. But what does Jesus do? Well, rather than kind of ride this, this crest of a wave, he goes off to be on his own, verse 42. So the people, they come looking for him, try and stop him from leaving. And what does Jesus say, verse 43? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, Jesus has a much greater priority and purpose than casting out demons and healing the sick. The priority of Jesus was, was proclamation. So the kingdom of God is advancing as people goes out and says, the king has arrived and it's me. One day Satan will be destroyed forever. One day uh, the authority of Jesus' word will rule, absolutely. But not yet. And what's the priority until that day? It's announcing, isn't it, the arrival of the kingdom of God. So rather than stay in Capernaum where he could be comfortable and revered, which he was probably tempted to do, Jesus moved on. What mattered to him most was fulfilling the mission given to him him by his father, proclaiming the breaking in of the kingdom of God. There is a challenge for us here, isn't there? Do we believe that the word of Jesus is this powerful? Do we believe that? Do we believe, as the writer to the Hebrews says, that the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart? Do we believe that? You see, the demon-possessed man and Simon's mother-in-law are pictures, aren't they, of the world that we live in today. A world that is lost, oppressed, under God's judgment But the word of Jesus is powerful to save, and we have it in our hands. Yet so often, are we not tempted to put our trust in something other than God's word, to put our trust in something else or someone else, just to pass the buck to someone else? So we think to ourselves, don't we, if only I was a brilliant uh, debater, then I could win those arguments with my friends when they raise those difficult issues of, of suffering, creation, whatever it is they ask us. If only I was a brilliant public speaker, then I could preach uh, the word of Jesus eloquently. If only I was a gifted evangelist like him, you know, then I could go out and communicate the word of God in a relevant way. If only I had more time I'm stacked out at work. 
Don't ask me to, to evangelize as well. That's just too much. I can only just cope with what I've got at the moment. If only my church would run that evangelistic event that I could bring my friends to that was credible, then I could do it. Or if I'm nice and kind and live a life of integrity, that'll be enough. People will see Jesus in me. They'll say I'm his follower. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to speak the word of God to them. Many of these things are good, aren't they? They're important things. But God doesn't work primarily through a brilliant argument or an impressive preacher or talented evangelists or other people who think they've got more time, or we think they've got more time than us, or evangelistic events or nice people. The world is blind, and the primary way that God has given us uh, by which people will be brought to him, have their sight back, and be forgiven, is his words that we have in our hands. This gospel ends with Jesus saying that just as God had sent him into the world to preach the good news, so now through them repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. It started with the disciples. It's continued ever since. It's probably how you're here today. Telling others about King Jesus, pointing to Jesus, proclaiming the reality of the kingdom of God in the here and now and what is to come is a duty not just of a few, but the privilege, the awesome privilege of all who follow Jesus Christ. It's an amazing privilege that we should be pouring our energies into, not just at this particular time or this particular event, but in the nitty-gritty of our lives, wherever we find ourselves day to day, week to week. Surely, if nothing else, being a disciple of Jesus Christ means listening to and acting upon the word of Jesus. The question is, will we listen and will we act? Surely we will. Jesus requires it of us. Shall we pray? Lord God, we do thank you uh, for your words. We thank you that it speaks, uh, it cuts to the the bone like a double-edged sword. And Father, we do pray that we would be people that have confidence uh, in your word, confidence uh, in King Jesus. That we would recognise him for who he is, trust him uh, for the awesome king that he is. And Lord God, that we would go out uh, and speak uh, to the people we know in the places we find ourselves about uh, the awesome king that we serve. The amazing kingdom uh, that all believers are a member of. And the awesome hope we have at one day. The certain hope that that kingdom will be perfected. All things will be put right. And we will live under your perfect rule and blessing forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.